Well, well, well. A couple of days from the election. We have numbers coming in regarding what they expect marijuana to be worth across the country when it is made legal. $7 billion. That'll fill a big hole that we've already lost in the energy sector, but not fill all of it. We'll look at those numbers a little later on. We are also going to look at bed bugs. You ever had an experience with bed bugs? Do you check when you go into a hotel room? You should always check. Should always check. And you should never do what everybody does when they get to their hotel room. What's the first thing you do? You open the door, you bring your luggage in. Where do you put the luggage? Where's the luggage go? On the bed. Of course it does. Where else are you going to put the luggage? What, that old grungy luggage rack in the closet? Actually, that's one of the cleaner things. Don't touch the remote control. Or at least wipe it off before you do. But that luggage rack's okay. Put your luggage there. Don't put it on the bed. Because a lot of people will come in, throw the luggage on the bed, and you're hungry. Well, you see that restaurant they had downstairs? we got to check that out. Let's go. You leave the hotel room immediately. And you leave the luggage on the bed, and the bed bugs crawl in, and the bed bugs crawl out, and you bring them home. And we have had an issue with bed bugs for a long, long time. In the United States this week, I can't find that Canada has jumped onto this bed bug bandwagon. But in the United States this week, it is bed bug awareness week. If you have to have an awareness week for something, that's not good. That's not good. Usually it's a very serious thing. So this is a very serious thing. And Orkin has done a bit of a survey and some studying and crunched some numbers in Ontario, and they have actually come up with the 10 worst places for bed bugs. Might as well run them down right now. You ready? Is London on this list? Well, let's find out. Number 10, Calgary. Then it goes to Scarborough, Sudbury, Halifax, Edmonton, St. John's, Newfoundland, Ottawa, the nation's capital, at number four. Vancouver, Winnipeg, and Toronto. So, no, London, not in the top ten. All right. We weren't top ten in worst roads. Now we're not top ten in bed bugs. This has been a good week in London, Ontario. This is okay. But after 2.30, we're going to talk about how you should deal with bed bugs because you shouldn't put your stuff there. That's how the bed bugs get in. You bring them home. Once they're in your house, it's not like a mosquito in the summertime in the room. It's not, that's not it. You don't hear them. They don't make noise. They just bite you. They feast on you and they lay eggs and you have an infestation. So after 2.30, we'll talk more about that. A lot of other things that we're going to be getting to outside of marijuana and bed bugs. I don't know if you saw this just recently. If you can't high five, don't high five. That should be a rule for everybody. If you are not, and high-fiving is something that takes timing, it takes a little bit of rhythm, and you have to do it on a fairly regular basis. If you're somebody who walks down the halls high-fiving people, you're fine. That's fine. Because you're doing it enough that you're practicing. And anything that you stop practicing, if you haven't ridden a bike for a while and you jump on a bike, you're a little wobbly. Just a little bit. If you haven't skated in a while and you get on skates, woo little wobbly not as smooth as you used to be because it takes a little while for that muscle memory to come back takes a little they always say it's just like riding a bike you never forget no you don't forget the balance part but you're still not very good for the first little while your brain's got to kind of remember it's got to find where it's stored all that info 
So if you don't high-five on a regular basis, don't just do it out of the blue and definitely don't do it where people can see you. And this is kind of a disappointing story to begin with. It actually happened in the House of Commons. Here's what was going on. Bill C-262 was being read. And this bill was meant to ensure that Canada abides by the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. That should be an easy one, right? That should be just get that one done. That'll pass by. Uh, No, no, that's not the way it worked at all. And when this was actually defeated in the House of Commons, and this goes back to May 30th, but somehow the video has just surfaced now. When this was defeated, a couple of Tory backbenchers, Rosemary Falk and Dane Lloyd, high-fived. It is the most awkward high-five ever. They're taking heat for having done that. You shouldn't have done that. Don't do that. Don't draw Don't, and, you know, if you want a high-five or if you want to celebrate this, fine. You, you voted this down. That's on your time. But don't do some lame-looking high-five. Learn to high-five before you high-five in public. If you want to celebrate it, I have no problem with that. Don't do it so that you look like someone who I wouldn't want to vote for. I even heard you speak. But you're a terrible high-fiver. Not voting for you. Based on your high-five. And if you think that's ridiculous, well, ask people why they're voting for whoever they're voting for this Thursday. Or who they voted for in the advanced polls. How many people are going to have a good justification for that? Not everybody. That's the way that it goes. You know, we've we've got a, a lot of things happening between now and Thursday. One politician seems to be disappearing. Is it true that Doug Ford, leader of the PCs, pulled the bait and switch this morning? I'm going to be here and whoop. Nope. Not going to be there. I think that happened. I can't believe that that happened. Kathleen Wynne is in London today. Andrea Horvath continues to campaign. Find out what your local people are up to. Nobody's really doing too much in terms of debating. But make sure you make that an informed vote if you are going to vote on Thursday. We are going to talk a little bit about what happened with Doug Ford and the fact that a lawsuit has come up from his brother's wife, and and the family, I suppose, against Doug Ford that alleges them that he deprived them of millions of dollars, deprived them of shares in the family business, deprived them of a life insurance policy that was to support his family. So this has kind of surfaced and it's surfacing at a pretty interesting time. We'll hear more about that at 140. But I want to begin with the creepiest story that we've had in London in a long time. And you can go to globalnews.ca to read the story if you want to see all of the details. We've had it for you throughout the day in news. And let me just run down a few of the main points of this. Medical technician at London Health Sciences Center is now facing charges. What happened? Well, a woman reported being drugged and sexually assaulted during an EEG procedure. So, she was injected with a sedative. That put her to sleep. This is alleged to have happened on April the 12th. The woman said that when she awoke, she was being sexually assaulted. And she reported the incident on May the 11th. So, this is the story that came out. And charges have been laid. 
one count of sexual assault, one count of overcoming resistance by administering or attempting to administer a drug. There was a news conference this morning. And in all of this comes a question. And it's a really interesting question, especially given the world that we live in today. During the news conference, hospital officials were asked, and police as well, were asked, are you going to be releasing a picture of the person who was charged? Because, and normally you could say, well, why would you need to do that? Well, here's the way that this case differs. They are looking to see whether there might be other victims. And if there are other victims, they want to encourage those victims to come forward. Maybe those victims have not come forward. Maybe they were in a similar situation. Maybe they don't know. I mean, this woman who underwent this EEG procedure woke up and says she was being sexually assaulted. So this wasn't woke up and, you know what, something, what, what's happening with me? I, something, something is not right here. And then you get checked out. No, she contends she woke up and she was being sexually assaulted. So police, obviously hospital officials, are looking to find out whether there are other victims. So the question was asked, are you going to release a picture of this individual? And the answer was no. What do you think about that? Do you think a picture of this individual who has been charged, who is a 24-year-old, worked at the hospital, should that picture be released? We live in a very visual society. This picture or the look of this individual is going to get out because I can tell you right now, there were reporters At this news conference, one of them from Global News Radio, and when any kind of court appearance happens, there will be reporters there, so the picture is going to get out of the person who has been charged. It's going to happen. But right now, hospital and police officials are looking to see whether there are potentially other victims. They know anybody else who has gone through a procedure similar to this or may have gone through a procedure where the individual who has been charged was present. So they are obviously going to reach out and talk to those people. But maybe they, you know, maybe they don't get a hold of somebody. Do you think it would be right for hospital officials and police to release a picture of this individual now? Or do you wait for due process in the courts? No, that's not right. We can't start that. We can't have people's pictures slapped up there when they have not been convicted of a crime. But in this case, how do you know? Do you remember your text name? You might remember your dentist's name. You might remember your doctor's name. You remember the name of a tech who may have helped you out for a couple of minutes? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. No. Would you know what they looked like? Yeah. Yeah, I remember what they looked like. I don't know their name. So what do you think in all of this? Let's open up the phones, and you can send in an email if you want to Mike at 980cfpl.ca. 519-643-2222. Is it appropriate or is it not appropriate to release a picture to maybe have people say, yeah, I I recognize that guy. I need to look into I need to figure out 
what has happened to me because they are looking for other victims. 519-643-2222. Email Mike at 980cfpl.ca or you can tweet at Stubbs980. Back with your calls in just a moment. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We have a story that's come up in the city and it's one that you're going to hear a lot about because it's one that one that you can't really believe happens in your own backyard. Where we have a medical technician at London Health Sciences Center facing charges after a woman reported being drugged and sexually assaulted during an EEG procedure. April 11th, she had the procedure. She was injected with a sedative that put her to sleep, so she says, and she awoke and she was being sexually assaulted. And Police and hospital officials were asked this morning, are you going to put out a picture of this individual because they're looking to see whether there may be other victims? And their answer was no. Now, you could say they're going to find out what this guy looks like, and you want to find as many victims as you can right now if, in fact, there are others. So did you have an encounter with this individual who has been charged? Is it right to put out that picture? They're not going to. But as soon as this individual makes a court appearance, that picture is going to be there. Is it not helpful to have it out there now? Or is this something that opens a big can of worms and we got to be careful that those worms stay in the can? 519-643-2222. Email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Alan, what do you think? I don't think it's right or wrong either way. But this is, uh, I'm just looking at it in the police perspective. This is my thought on this. They are wanting to get credible individuals who believe that something was amiss the last time they went to get some kind of medical procedure done. By not releasing the, the photo, anyone who comes in goes, yeah, you know what? I mean, obviously, if they woke up and they were being sexually assaulted, they would remember that. Maybe they were groggy or maybe they didn't want to come in due to embarrassment. And now that there's a person who came forward with it, they're more prone to come out. Um, and admit that this happened to them as well. If they release the photo, you can literally have a flood of individuals going, oh my goodness, three years ago I had some procedure done by this guy and I don't remember anything, but maybe it happened. So there's good leads and bad leads. I think that London police want to get the good substantial leads um, with you know evidence and timelines and people who legitimately think this is what happened to me versus releasing the photo and getting a bunch of individuals who might have recalled there being a technician that looks physically like that person and they do or do not know if anything happened to them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, you you make a good point because you do want, you use the right word, Alan, and I think that right word is credible. You don't want want a whole bunch of things to chase down. Not to say that anyone would lie about it. I mean, I don't think people are going to do that. But you just want individuals who, who genuinely felt like they that something had happened during the procedure, and they're gonna they're gonna come out prior to the photo release, because then they can say, look, these guys came in to the police station, or they told their story even before we released the photo. So it wasn't the photo that led them to coming in and and kind of following the evidence. It's the evidence that led them to that that person. Alan, thanks for the call. Thanks. As we look at some other thoughts on this, Tara has said on our Facebook page, he's accused slash charged, not convicted. You're innocent until proven guilty. Good call, 
on not releasing the pick. How do you feel on this? Is it helpful to have that picture now that they are – because they – the LHSC is a well-run organization, and what they're going to do is they're going to contact each of the individuals who has had a procedure that maybe put them at risk. And there are over 500. It's almost 600 of those individuals, and so they are going to be contacting them. And they will you know, do their due diligence in that way. So is it necessary to do that? Because, you know, we look at things from the perspective of a visual society now. We are incredibly visual. If we weren't, Instagram wouldn't be what it is. So if we have something visual, does it, does it count for more? Are we more apt to pay attention to it? I would argue yes. If you tweet something and it has a picture attached to it, you're more apt to have somebody look at it. That picture will draw them in. So in this case, if I'm going to say personally, I don't, I don't agree that the picture should be put up there today. I know the picture is going to get out there. I think in this case, we count on the hospital to do that due diligence. We count on the hospital to contact the individuals who may have been at risk, to have a conversation with them. It's not an easy process because there are almost 600. But I'm with Alan. You want to make sure that you are handling this investigation properly. And I think so far that's exactly what's taking place because this is a scary kind of situation. If you are anyone who has been in, all of a sudden you start thinking, whoa, whoa, well, I didn't have an EEG, but I had this. Or I didn't have this, but I I was given a sedative for this reason, and it happened at this time. Because as soon as people start hearing, well, this individual who has been charged has been an employee of London Health Sciences Center since May of 2015, well, your brain starts to go back. Oh, have have I had a procedure at LHSC since 2015? Wait a minute. And you start wondering, well, we've got to stop doing that because that's how hysteria starts. You don't want to do that. So I don't mind that the picture is not being released here from a personal standpoint because they are going to reach out and do things. And, you know, sometimes if you do release that picture, you're going to say, yeah, I recognize that person. It may be someone who you saw in a coffee shop. It may be someone who you passed on the street. It may have had nothing to do with it, but because you didn't take that that real solid mental image and it's just something that you recognize, eh, it makes it a little bit different. So that story will continue, and if you do have any information, police are asking that you either give London Police Service a call, and that's at 661-5670, and you ask to speak to a detective in the sexual assault and child abuse section. That's what you would be asking for. Or information can always be submitted anonymously through Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS. That's 1-800-222-TIPS. One of those creepy stories. Somebody obviously accusing someone else of taking advantage of a position that they are in. And you never, ever want to feel that that is a possibility. So we'll see where this goes. We'll see whether any other victims do come forward. As of right now, we have one person alleging that this took place. And again, Global News Radio will continue to follow it for you. After news with Jacqueline LaBelle, which is coming up in about two minutes, we're going to go back to another story that 
in a way, you, you have to say, OK, well, how does this all work? We want to look two days before the election at why three days before the election you had Renata Ford, who is the wife of like Rob Ford, coming forward with a lawsuit with her family against Doug Ford. Well, this timing is not coincidental. And to help us understand the story, we heard earlier today on Global News Radio, and we we heard from Kevin Donovan uh, from the Toronto Star. He's an investigative reporter, and he is somebody who helped to piece all of this together. And so we'll take you back to some of what he said earlier today on the Craig Needle Show where Devin Peacock was hosting. So that's coming up. And, and he said some very interesting things. I want to make sure we go back to that because I don't want you to miss them. News is on the way next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. You ever counted up how many gadgets and laptops you have in your house? There's ways to dispose of them, but a lot of times they seem to hang around. I need your help on something. I have a child set to go, not a child anymore, Set to go to university, and we're looking at a new laptop for university. And I always hear, you should go with a Mac. You should go with a Mac. Once you get a Mac, you keep that forever. Because some laptops are really, really disposable. The one that I use right now, now I take it around on the hockey bus and stuff, so it gets tossed around a lot. But only one side of the screen is connected. So if you, if you turn it upside down, it falls apart. And I keep waiting for the day when I turn it on, the screen doesn't light up because the screen is falling off. So I'm not looking at this for me. I'm looking at it for a child who's not a child anymore. And then I can inherit her laptop. You know, you always think when you grow up, hand me down, stop. And then you have kids. And you don't hand your stuff down to them. You wait for them to be done with their stuff, and they hand it down to you. Those are some of the best hand-me-downs going. Soon as you are the same shoe size as one of your children, all of a sudden, you've got a lot more shoes. It's a good time. So, with regard to a laptop, is a Mac a good investment? Can somebody help me out with this? Because it's a lot of money. And that's... How many times do we chase our tails with things because they're cheaper? Well, I'm just going to buy this because it is more affordable than that. If I put two side by side, which one is less? Okay, I'll go with that one. And it lasts for like two years. Or maybe you get a third year out of it. Is it a good investment? If you could shoot me a quick email, if you have a thought on this, I would love to get somebody with experience to help out. Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Speaking of investments, there was a great story that came out of Wisconsin just today, and it deals with the cost of baseball. If they think baseball is costly, you want to try hockey? Hockey's really, really costly. But parents were told by a baseball team that they were going to have to buy their sons slash daughters new band or new bats and the bats had to be stamped with a USA baseball logo because they had mandated new standards so they had to go out and get new bats okay fine well those bats depending on the size of the individual cost between 45 and 350 dollars 
and that's created a concern. And then somebody's gone out and added, well, the helmet is $50. You have to have one of those. You have to have two pairs of pants. That's $70. You have to have gloves for 20 cleats for 70 And if you're a catcher, well, and they're obviously telling it from a baseball perspective, you can throw that into hockey. And the cost of things, absolutely astronomical. And the argument in this is how do parents afford to have their kids in sports anymore? That's a good topic. 519-643-2222. One we will deal with on another day. Marv, I may need your help here. How can, uh, how, can you help me out? Well, Mike, I might not be much help because uh, uh, I'm pretty computer illiterate. Uh, that's the Apple, and, and I think that's the big secret. I really like my Apple products. I switched over from, um, uh, what do they call the other ones? I don't know. <laughs> the, the, the other operator, the Windows. PC Windows or device, Android, yeah. Yeah, and I ended up, I bought an iPhone, and from there there was no going back. And so I, now I have iPads, and I got rid of the office computer, and I use a desktop, a Mac desktop for my business. And for somebody who has limited skills, they're very intuitive to work with, I find. Uh, and they, they all link together. So like everything I do on my phone, I can pick up on my computer, and everything that's on my computer I can pick up on my phone and my iPad. Uh, they're expensive, but I've never heard anybody who has them who, who goes back to the other operating system. That They may exist, but everybody I know who's on an Apple, they, you swear by them once, once you're onto them. And durability? There's durability? So Have far, you dropped so good. yours? I, I'm a contractor, right? My, my phone's bounced uh, several times, and, and it seems to hold up. Uh, and as far as the computer, I mean... Uh, you know, laptop, I don't know. I do not have a laptop, but my, my iPad, I bring it into the shop with me, and it goes to, you know, the dusty environment, and it seems to work pretty good. But they're not cheap. They're not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. That's what I was looking at. See, I still have that dad <laughs> about me, which looks and says, yeah, but this one is this much, and this one, look at how much that is. So, okay, yeah, Marv, you thank know, you. you. you Okay, you buy the $300 computer, you, you replace it far more often than the $2,000 Mac. Yeah, that's kind of the rut that we're in right now. Marv, have a great day. <laughs> Good luck with your decision. Thanks. 519-643-2222. If you can help me out, either drop me a, a quick email, mike at 980cfpl.ca, or you can call 519-643-2222. Is a Mac a good investment? I don't know. I haven't done the research on this. Bob, can you help me? Oh, you bet, Mike. Uh, I agree with your first caller. Very intuitive. Uh, when I first got into the computer things, I was like everybody else, didn't know much. Bought the PCs, Windows operating system. Found it very frustrating to work with. Uh, and it seemed that every two or three years I had to go buy a, another uh, PC because the thing was, you know, just falling apart on me. And when I got the first Mac, yeah, I, I dished out like, I don't know, over two grand. And uh, it, I just immediately felt that, oh, this thing's simple to use, rock solid. Um, I'm on my second one now. I've had it for uh, a MacBook Pro, and I've had it for, I think, what, four years now? Hasn't skipped a beat. Just rock-solid machine. Um, fantastic. I, I would say if you're interested in buying one, don't hesitate. You won't, be, you won't regret it. And how long did that first one last? See, this is, this is still the dad in me asking, how long did it last? Oh, the first one? Oh, geez, that one lasted me uh, over eight years. Bingo. You, eight you've years. sold me. Yeah. Bob, thanks for the call. <laughs> Take care. 519-643-2222. couple more calls. Paul, can you kind of give the argument on the other side? Oh, my God. I would never own a piece of eye trash. No <laughs> way. For one, for one thing, Apple abuses their customers. I don't know what these people are smoking, 
Maybe they started a little early. I don't know. But Apple actively abuses their customers when it comes to repairs, when it comes to they will – I don't know. Anyone who, who does repairs who likes Apple products, period, they send them – they'll send a product with a, a, a part that's bad, you know, a keyboard that's bad, and they just say, oh, well, that's the Apple thing. It's okay. You know, like the whole thing that happened a couple of years ago where the – the antenna was defective, and they said, oh, we just don't hold it that way. Really? <laughs> you know, they actively abuse their users, and for some reason, these zombies keep coming back for more abuse. It's like Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> hey, get Paul? a machine that you actually own. Get an Android that you actually own. You're not just paying for the privilege of getting to use it for a while until they deem otherwise. Remember, and more active abuse of the customers. Remember, they start slowing them because the batteries are right. too hot. They want you to buy the new one. Exactly. They don't care about their customers. Get an Android, a phone that you actually own, that you can actually take control of, that you can do what you want to with. If you're buying it for your little one, then install some good anti-theft software. Then you can also, like, I'm a big fan of Avast. In fact, I'm just telling a friend about it where you can find out where the phone is. If you think they're doing something they shouldn't, you can actually play the, the sounds of it. Or yeah. What's going on around the phone? phone. I, don't, I don't mind that software either. That way you, you own the phone. You get to do what you want to with it. As far as the lap, laptops and tablets, you know, they're using Intel processors now anyways. There is no hardware difference between the Apple, any Apple, and a good, I hate to say Windows because I'm mostly a Linux guy, but, you know, you're, if you want a simple to operate machine, you're going to end up with Windows. And uh, every, you know, that's, that's where, you know, I don't know how you can say Apple's easier to operate when 90% of the population uses Windows machines. Hey, Paul, thanks for the tips. Thank you. Have Take a care. Great- Bye-bye. Well... That's that's starting to swing in the other way. Let's see where we go with this. Abdul, Apple or no? No. I'm with your uh, last caller. And besides, I'm an, I, an IT myself as well as I'm an Uber driver. So if I had to cut my call short just because I had to, I had uh, a request coming through. So No problem. I would say that um, I, uh, I've always been a PC uh, uh, user. And just because I'm able to uh, fix it and um, tweak it for my own uh, needs, I don't like the idea of Apple tying you with something that you don't want to. Um, I even give them a try with your their iPhone. Um, it's okay. I mean, user-friendly. It's just for the people who are sort of don't know what to do and they need something to be fed to them, the spoon-fed them. But um, I'm not that type of guy. Depends on how your son is uh, with um, uh, tech technology today. These days, kids are very good with technology. Sure thing. So if they are good, how do, do you really want to spend that much money? And then uh, later on, find out that they would have been able to do it with fraction of that money i don't like finding things like that out that, that always kind of yeah. makes me feel queasy i don't know about you mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you make a good so, point 
yeah, as, as the, the kid can navigate through things, fix his own things, I would go with PC and I would go with Android. Abdul, thanks so much. You're welcome. See, I Have love a- this. Abdul has worked in IT, does work in IT. All right, one more call on this, then we've got to take a break. John, that is your call. Hey, Where you would you it? go? And and here's the conversation we've been having. I simply said, I've got a, a student in my house who is headed to university, and we need a new laptop, and we're thinking, do we go with a Mac? Do we, do we stick with PC? What do we do? John, what do you say? I've got a son that just finished his first year at Laurier, so he's got a few more years to go. Last year, what do you want? Talked to all his friends that were also going to Laurier. Uh, it was Mac, so we got the Mac. Um, turns out, I would have to guess here, 70, 80% of his friends, that his new friends that he was in residence with, all had Macs. Now, when we bought this, I took out extended warranty, so I thought it was, you know, you know how they sell that sort of stuff to you. It wasn't Mac, it was at Staples, you know, bumper to bumper sort of thing. Anyways, he was at a legal society competition at Osgood Hall earlier this year in the spring. And someone dropped, and basically three-quarters of a bottle of water fell on his computer, his laptop, his Mac, and, uh, of course, it was not working after that. So he phoned me. I said, don't worry, we've got that uh, uh, extended warranty. So I get down to Staples and find out, or well, first they told me, oh, yeah, don't worry, phone phone, uh, phone Mac, this 1-800 number, it's all going to be done. It wasn't covered. However, when I told them what happened, that we thought we had this bumper-to-bumper coverage, they hooked me up to someone down in Florida, higher up with Mac. I explained what happened. They said, here's a number, Mr. Charno. And they they said, uh, you know, right away, there's a Mac outpost or whatever they call them now in Masonville Mall. Go in there when your son comes home this weekend with that, uh, that laptop. Go in there, give them this number, and they'll look after it. It won't cost you one cent. We go in there. We give them the number. They go, oh, geez, uh, this has come right from the top. Uh, we're going to need the uh, the laptop for three or four days. They showed us when they when we went to pick it up. They basically, it was just the shell they had left. They put everything new in it, the keys, the, the, the ports, the plug things in. If we had have had that built, buying the parts for that, the innards of that computer, would have been about $2,700. We walked out of there without paying one cent. So service i don't know a whole lot about computers but i'll tell you service end of it i can't say anything bad about them they were incredible incredible service son walked out of there with basically a brand new computer and it wasn't really supposed to be covered for that and they still did it john thanks for that have a good one okay that leaves me probably more confused than i was when we started this conversation but thank you now we'll take all of those things to heart good thing is when your kids get older they get to make the ultimate decision, right? I don't know if that's the good news, but that is that is the news. And they usually chip in some bucks, too. So I'll take all this information home, and we'll see what we come up with. Thank you very much for that. Next, we do want to go back to a conversation that occurred today on the Craig Needle Show. I want to play you just a couple of clips from it so that you're right up to date on the latest story. This one coming from Kevin Donovan and the Toronto Star regarding the lawsuit against PC leader Doug Ford. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So here is the outline of a story that broke yesterday and was kind of a, a strange one in that the timing of it makes you go, really? The widow and children of Rob Ford, brother of Doug Ford, are suing 
PC leader Doug Ford, they are claiming that he deprived them of millions of dollars, including shares in the family. They also talk about a life insurance policy that was left behind to support them by Rob Ford. And earlier today on the Craig Needle Show, Devin Peacock was filling in, and he had a chance to talk with Kevin Donovan from the Toronto Star, who actually basically broke the story, wrote the story. He's an investigative journalist. And Kevin talked about some of the relationships within the Ford family. I know when I was doing back in the uh, the crack video days, if you can call it that, in 2013, uh, it was it was certainly very tumultuous between uh, Renata and uh, and Rob, and I think that uh, uh, that Doug Ford and the rest of the of the you know the Ford family uh, were never big fans of of Renata. Uh, but the thing is, you know, that they had children, and uh, uh, Doug Ford references them by name uh, in uh, in his statement, and says, you know, he'll always be there for them, and. Uh, so it's uh, you know it's it's a it's a it's a messy issue, and here we are you know, two days before the election campaign, and, and we've got uh, a serious document in court saying that uh, Doug Ford can't manage money. Now a lot of people have weighed in on this. Political pundits saying, you know, this doesn't usually impact any kind of election thing, but it is a fascinating story to follow. And Kevin was asked to look ahead to what could play out even after the election. There's a re- really interesting. Um, I think we've got the statement of claim by Renata on our, our, our TorontoStar.com website. If you look at it, you'll see in two or three places she says, uh, you know, we're, we're basically we're not presenting the the proof we ha- have, but but uh, we have it. It's almost saying like, you know, you know, we have the proof for this. And so there is, uh, I, and I don't think her law firm, Herod and Barrelis, uh, would do that if they actually didn't have it. So they've got some proof make these allegations they're not just uh, uh just uh, empty allegations so there you have kevin donovan from the toronto star who pieced this story together and what he says about this particular allegory this particular lawsuit that has been filed and allegations that money was withheld from the family of rob ford it becomes soap opera ish in a hurry, doesn't it? Time for a quick break. We'll let you know what's coming up after news. We are going to be talking about fentanyl in London. There are some new statistics that have come out. Is it better? What do you think? Better or worse? It's one of those lick your finger, put it in the air, see which way the wind is blowing. Better or worse? What do you think? Uh, I hope it's good news, but I'm, I'm not holding out that much hope. News is coming up in just a minute, but we'll let you know what is up after news. And we're also going to be talking about bed bugs. So we'll tell you why we're doing that. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFBL. Thanks to a note from Andy on Twitter and a note from Mike by email. We have more fuel for our PC or Mac discussion over the dinner table tonight. I'm as confused as ever. I didn't know much going in. And I almost feel like I know more but less at the same time. We're going to know more, definitely, about fentanyl in London, Ontario. That's coming up in about 
seven minutes from now. You don't want to miss it. We are also going to talk about marijuana in Canada and look at some numbers that have come out. And bed bugs, not in London, because we didn't crack the top ten in some Orkin numbers that were released. But we'll talk about how to avoid bringing bed bugs home from wherever you might visit, be it the top ten spots for bed bugs in Ontario or any of the other hot spots for bed bugs anywhere in the world. And why is it that these things have become as prevalent as they have? It's Bed Bug Awareness Week in the United States. Why do we need Bed Bug Awareness Week? That's kind of frightening, certainly unsettling. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. There was a time when we'd never heard the word naloxone. Remember that time? Naloxone? What are they talking about? Naxalone? No, naloxone. No idea. There was a time when we'd never heard the word fentanyl. What's that? Is that like a new gasoline additive? Is that going to save me money at the pumps? No, no, it's not. In fact, it's something you don't want to have anywhere near anybody in your life. And now those are household words. Naloxone kits, they're being carried around by all kinds of people in the event that someone overdoses on a drug that has been laced with fentanyl. Or here's a question that I'm going to have to find the answer to in just a second. Do people actually use fentanyl on its own? Is that something that you could actually do? Well, we have a new release from the Middlesex London Health Unit, and here's the headline on it. Potential increase in presence of fentanyl causes concern for local agencies. Well, whenever there's a concern and whenever we've got some stats involved, we always like to get to the bottom of the story as quickly as we can. Joining us is the Medical Officer of Health and the Chief Executive Officer at the Middlesex London Health Unit, Dr. Chris Mackey. Dr. Mackey, how are you? I'm doing well. Yourself, Mike? I'm okay. Can people use fentanyl just on its own? Is that a thing? Sure, and we actually saw a huge spike in fentanyl use in 2012 when OxyContin was discontinued and people were using fentanyl. At that time, it was from patches. So, you know, patches that usually are prescribed for chronic pain, serious conditions like, you know, cancer-related pain. And we're now, because the market opened up with OxyContin being discontinued, uh, we're now being diverted to the street. Uh, You've actually seen a huge change in fentanyl patches. They used to be about $100-$150 per patch, and you're now seeing them for more like $600 on the street, and that's in part because uh, fentanyl, fentanyl patch for patch program, you can't get a new patch now without returning the old patch, so a uh, big reduction in the street availability of fentanyl patches. And was it basically just a painkiller that was out there at one point? Is that where fentanyl originated? Yeah, again, very serious opioid uh, for pain control, for for very serious pain. And uh, the patches are slow absorbing, so they're on for many, many hours, like you may have a patch on for, you know, 24 hours or something like this. So uh, it was meant to be absorbed slowly over a long period. It's really when when it's uh, injected, it comes in a gel and you've got to, you know, do a few things, but then you can inject it in a syringe and that's when uh, it really becomes dangerous because you're taking that you know 24 hours of the dose all in in uh, in one injection gotcha 
We're talking with Dr. Chris Mackey, Medical Officer of Health and CEO at the Middlesex London Health Unit. And we're looking at a release that has come out. And let's dig into this right now, Dr. Mackey, a potential increase in the presence of fentanyl in this area. Where does this information come from? That's right. So we're looking at a number of data sources. First of all, I mean, you would have heard the police released their information last week about finding purple fentanyl on the street. That's a new finding for our region. But we're also, we look at data from emergency department visits, from drug treatment centers, there's a number of them uh, across the region that report their data to us, and also from uh, the coroner's data, so death data, where the death has been investigated and fentanyl has been identified. And we're seeing things trend up across the board on the healthcare data for uh, fentanyl presence. Again, quite different. We've had a uh, drug market that's been dominated locally by diverted prescription drugs, things like um, hydromorphone, uh, which is, again, something similar to OxyContin. Uh, That was by far the most used drug uh, in our region until kind of last spring. You started to just see fentanyl start to come into the market. This is now we're talking about a different kind of fentanyl, right? It's mail-order fentanyl from China rather than diverted patches. That started coming in last April, and it's, uh, it's, it's becoming more and more present in our region, which is why we issued this alert. So who is at risk in all of this? Is it someone who is a regular drug user? Could it be anybody? Well, I mean, anytime you're purchasing drugs through the, uh, you know, the black market, you've got the risk of contamination. And fentanyl is much more uh, commonly now seen contaminating things like uh, cocaine. Um, even crystal meth is being contaminated with fentanyl. It's not you know, unexpected to find it contaminating other opioids. Like if you're purchasing something in the streets of London that is being called heroin, the chances of it containing fentanyl are very high. Uh, but it's being mixed into cocaine and crystal meth and other things where you wouldn't expect it now. And uh, that's definitely a concerning trend. And, you know, it's really about the drug dealers trying to make their products more and more addictive, uh, opioids being one of the most addictive substances we know of. And, uh, and, and that's why you're seeing it being used more and more in the street drugs. There were times when you were very good about warning that, hey, this is not here yet, but it's probably coming. Not here yet, probably coming. Now it's here. Now we're at a stage where we're talking about, well, not only is fentanyl here, but this type of fentanyl and that type of fentanyl is here. What are we left to do as a community to deal with this, Dr. Mackey? You know, there there are some deeply disturbing underlying trends here. Uh, you know, we we don't know for sure, but we think there's potentially some uh, ahead of marijuana legalization. Marijuana has been historically responsible for most of the profits of organized crime, multi-billion dollar industry across Canada. And with legalization coming there, we, we think that there's some diversification of their offerings that's behind some of this. So again, we expecting, we're expecting that to become worse over the next while. But there are some things that we can do as a community. You talked about naloxone. Naloxone is the antidote to opioid overdose, opioids being everything from heroin to fentanyl to uh, morphine. And, you know, we're seeing more and more people take up uh, the recommendation to have naloxone uh, with them 
when they're, uh, you know, some places at work where you're dealing with a high-risk population, whether it's a, a, a shelter or, um, you know, you, with our uh, press release, we, we're also seeing the police announce that they're going to be carrying fentanyl for use with um, anyone that they might come across that's overdosed. So that's, sorry, <laughs> they're bringing naloxone with them, not fentanyl. Um, so, so more and more people having naloxone available, which is great. Uh, there was a push actually by medical students at City Hall uh, last week asking that City Hall place naloxone kits anywhere where there's an AED, an automatic external defibrillator, so community centers or malls or that sort of thing, uh, which is, uh, again, a, a good step to make it available more broadly in the public. The other recommendation that's really important, Mike, in terms of preventing overdose is if people are going to use illegal drugs, obviously our recommendation is not to do so, but if they're going to use illegal drugs, they have to make sure that there's someone there with them. People uh, using illegal drugs by themselves, uh, where there's no one around to administer naloxone, that's a really high-risk situation. Well, Dr. Mackey, we want to thank you so much for your information today and for making this as big a story as it is, because like you say, we've got a changing world in the way that the black market is going to operate with regard to drugs. And uh, that's something we've got to be ready for. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. Take care. That is Dr. Chris Mackey. He is the chief medical officer of health with the Middlesex London Health Unit. And that's that's something that almost sounds as though it's not a big deal in that we're going to see a changing landscape in the drug world. No, what are you talking about? That's that's not that big a deal, but it is. And Dr. Mackey pointed to two things that I want to go back to right now. In fact, let's go back to it in just a minute. Let's take a quick break, and we'll talk about marijuana numbers, number one, because if you go to globalnews.ca right now, there's a story you can go to 980cfpl.ca. You'll find it in both places. And it outlines the expected income from marijuana across the country. And it listed at $7 billion, but I want to break down those numbers a little bit more. But what Dr. Mackey had pointed out about a changing, I don't want to put words in his mouth. He didn't say changing landscape. I am. But there is a changing landscape coming for the black market drug sales operations that go on. Because if you can go to the LCBO or wherever else they choose to eventually sell marijuana, legalized marijuana, and you can buy it there, you know, we hear that, well, yeah, but you're still going to want to go to Jimmy's house. Mm, probably not. And they'll find Jimmy and they may have a chat with Jimmy about how he's selling that because the government wants control of this and they're going to get it. And they're going to make sure that people who are working against their control, working against the money that they are making, are going to have a tough time. So then the marijuana dealers have to look around and say, well, I can either do a different job or or I can switch things up a little bit. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. If you want to weigh in, phone lines will be open, 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. So what do they then do? They can continue their business, and for some, I think it'll 
continue to operate. I don't know. But the government is going to do its best to get its hands on the entire operation and sale of marijuana. Is it not? Why wouldn't it? They want the money. Let's go to the phones. 519-643-2222. John, how are you? Hi. Hi. Mike? Yes. Mike? Oh, sorry. I didn't know I was the first one. Hi, it's John, Mike. How are you doing? We I'm okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Now, which one do you want to talk about? The fentanyl, because uh, I've overdosed on it before, and, or the marijuana, because I occasionally sell small amounts to friend and family. Which one? Well, you've got me intrigued in two ways. Uh, why don't we start with fentanyl? How did you get involved in that? Well, can I tell you? I will tell you as brief as humanly possible. Uh, I was about uh, 14, 15 years ago. I was roofing, and um, you only roof like about eight months a year. Okay, so the other four months of the year, I was struggling, man. So my grandma was getting prescriptions for opiates, and she didn't like taking them. They made her sick, and she just – so she said, John – why don't you make yourself some extra money? I'll give you these every month. So um, it was just uh, at first um, uh, hydro, hydro morphones or whatever. And was however. it coming I out of a patch? Was it out of a patch, as Dr. Mackey well, had talked about? Fentanyl was out of the patch, and she only got them once because I didn't know what the hell they were. So I said, yeah, I'll get them. And it was out of a patch. Okay, so I did a shot, and I uh, the people I, the two people I was with, they knew immediately I had overdosed. They dragged me out into the parking lot on Euclid Ave here in town, Euclid Street, Euclid Ave, whichever one it is, and left me there. Luckily, a very good friend of mine lived next door and called the EMS, and they came and, um, you know, defibrillated me or whatever. And I woke up three hours later in St. Joe's Hospital with all these diodes and things attached to me. I said, what, what is going on? They said, oh, but the doctor came in, says, you were dead, man. You were blue when they got there. And I said, okay, well, let me go. I got to go to the beer store. It's going to close soon. So I just, you know, I, I discharged myself and did. Okay. Now, what do you want to know about the marijuana thing? Uh, as far as dealing goes, if you, if you believe that we are going to see a change in the way that people buy their marijuana, I don't no. buy marijuana. Is it, do you think people are still going to go to their favorite local dealer? Yes. I'll tell you uh, a few main reasons. Cost, I could always supply it cheaper, okay? Availability. Uh, when the marijuana store closes at 10 o'clock or whenever a beer store closes, it'll be roughly the same time. Um, they're not going to say, well, gee, the party's over. I can't get a joint. You know you know what I mean? I know what you so mean. There's a lot of reasons. There's, okay. Uh, and, okay, uh, let's see. What else? Oh, yeah. What have we got? Five stores going to be placed here in London? So that goes back to the availability. However, you know, it's just going to be too hit and miss, and they're, they're not, and, oh, it's, and it, okay, the one thing that bugs me, Mike, about this whole thing is that they claim that it was going to be less costly on the criminal justice system. That's nonsense, because people like me are now going to be thrown in jail like 1972. If they find that you're dealing drugs. Yeah, and not only that, Mike, another thing, you're allowed to grow four, four plants, but you're not allowed to let them bud, which means you can't get high off them. So why would you bother? <laughs> <laughs> hey, John, thanks for the insight hey, on all of this. No problem, buddy. Appreciate the call. Take care. Yeah. So John raises some good points in terms of why we might see people stray away from buying the government marijuana. But, I mean, we buy our alcohol and if you are somebody who drinks alcohol and you're running low, you go to the store and you don't necessarily drink it all at once. So would marijuana work that way? I don't know. I don't, 
I don't smoke marijuana, so I'm I'm no expert in all of this. Here are the numbers I wanted to break down. Again, you can find these at 980cfpl.ca or at globalnews.ca. According to Deloitte, they've done kind of an overview of this. And these are just expectations, but it just shows how big this is expected to be. And it falls in line with why the government's even doing this in the first place. Marijuana industry in Canada is expected to generate more than $7 billion in sales annually. And here's how they break that down. They say $4.3 billion will come from recreational sales. Now, this is across the country. So $4.3 billion will come from recreational sales, $1.7 billion from medicinal sales, and then a $1 billion from the black market. So the government's not touching all $7 billion. That $1 billion from the black market stays with the black market. And the way that, that things have been portrayed, small businesses say customers will stick with what they know. But Deloitte says, eh, not sure about that. Jane Adaris is with Deloitte. She was quoted as saying, customers are willing to do up to a 10% increase, assuming they get better product. About 53 cents more is what Canadians are willing to pay after legalization. So John was just saying, hey, if it's going to be cheaper, you're going to go to your dealer. So dealers are going to be dealers are going to be faced with the decision of do I cut my prices to undercut the government or or what? Do do you change? And that's where Dr. Mackey had said, hey, that's maybe where fentanyl factors into this or other drugs that come into the community where You've got to change in how people are operating. You've got to change in what they are offering. And that's where things can get scary. Back to the phones we go. 643-2222. Steve, you've got 60 seconds, but they're your 60 seconds. Steve, you there? May have lost Steve. Steve, we'll try and get you back, and we'll talk about this after news. We've got news coming up in about two minutes with Jacqueline LaBelle. We are going to be talking about bed bugs after news. It is bed bug awareness week in the United States. We don't seem to have a bed bug awareness week in Canada, but here's what has taken place. Orkin has done some number crunching, and they've come up with the... Top 10 spots or maybe bottom 10 spots, places where bed bugs are most prevalent. Is London on the list? I can tell you right now it's not, but we will tell you what is. And then we'll look at dealing with bed bugs and why are they even such an issue? And if you think that they're not an issue in London, well, they actually are. They're an issue everywhere, but London didn't crack the top 10. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. In life, you can have all the ability in the world. You need luck and timing, don't you? The Vegas Golden Knights, if you look, last night lost in a big way. It was not close on the scoreboard. In the game, it was still pretty close. Vegas could have been leading that game very easily, and yet they weren't. You need luck, and you need timing. Former Maple Leafs General manager Lou Lamarillo is now the new general manager of the New York Islanders, and the Islanders have fired Doug Waite, so some changes in the sports world. And if you're a Blue Jays fan, the Blue Jays apparently have discussed promoting who? Who do you think? It wouldn't be Vladimir Guerrero, would it? Yeah, that's who it is. They have discussed promoting him 
They've discussed the possibility of calling him up next month. That's according to John Morosi of Fox Sports. So more on that coming up after 3 o'clock. And we do have Blue Jays baseball for you tonight on 980 CFPL as they face the New York Yankees. So that is on the way this evening. And we can also throw this out there. Interesting story today about where you keep your key fob. See, if you just have an old key, if you've got a car that just takes a key, no problem whatsoever. You can put that wherever you want to. But now we've got cybersecurity experts who are saying, be careful. Get your fob a tinfoil hat. Or maybe get yourself a tinfoil hat. I don't know which one here. They are claiming that most people will come into the house and put their car key, their key fob, just down on the kitchen counter. Or maybe they hang it right inside the door with all the coats. That's where they keep it. And that that makes the fob very accessible, not for someone who wants to steal it, but for someone who just wants to steal the information from it. They say copying code from key fobs is pretty easy. They do it outside your home. They do it in a motel. And then you can steal a vehicle. You can gain access to the vehicle. You can hack into the vehicle as somebody's driving it. That's kind of unnerving. So this is according to some cybersecurity experts. Here's what they recommend. You ready for this? What? You have to buy some kind of very special key fob protection, right? That's what you have to do. For only $19.99 a month, you can have all the key fob protection that you need. Actually, that's not why they're not what they're saying at all. And that's actually why I brought this story up because it, it isn't a sales thing at all. What they say you should do is take an old can that held coffee grounds and use that. So finish up your Folgers tomorrow morning, rinse out that can, and then keep that on the counter. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to have on a counter. An old coffee can, especially when it gets a little bit of rust around the bottom, it looks fantastic. Rarely leaves a ring that you can never remove from your counter. So I don't know. I don't know where you want to put it. But they say, these cybersecurity experts, claim that what you need to do is put your fob into something like that because it actually blocks the ability for people to steal the code from your fob. So they're not trying to sell you anything for $19.99. They just say, while you're making a tinfoil hat for yourself, worried about how the world is going to get you next, slip your fob into a coffee can. You'll be fine. Then they won't get the info, they won't stop your car while you're driving, and you will never be stranded on the 401 at 2 a.m. as somebody's funny, funny joke. Next, bed bugs. Have you ever had bed bugs? Do you know how to tell that you've had bed bugs? A lot of times you wake up in the morning and you can look down at your legs. And if on one of your legs is a line of bites, usually in a straight line, yeah, you might have bed bugs. Not you might need be a redneck. You might have bed bugs. If you actually see little apple-seeded guys walking around your bed or other parts of your house or apartment, you might have bed bugs. It is Bed Bug Awareness Week in the United States. Canada is not celebrating this, but 
it's useful to talk about it. We're going to do that next. This is London Live. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Oh, we have bedbugs in London. It's a nasty thing to think about. Talk to anybody who's had to deal with these little critters. It's not fun. They're hard to get rid of. Really hard to get rid of. But we have them in London because you have them absolutely everywhere. There are apartment buildings that are dealing with them. And when they get into an apartment building, it's difficult to get them out because an apartment building is so big. And if these little critters get into the wall and lay eggs and next thing you know, they're going into the next apartment over. You have to basically treat the entire apartment building. Absolutely expensive and very difficult to do. I mean, how long does it take to treat an entire apartment building? Can the life cycle of the eggs kind of rotate around how long it takes? I don't even want to think about that. But Orkin decided to release a top 10 of bed bugs, and this would be in Canada. So top 10 spots for bed bugs, or maybe bottom 10. And as we said earlier, just like with worst roads, London has missed this 10. Hey, that's all right. We still have them, but we're not one of the worst. Number one, Toronto. And I'm assuming that's just because there are so many people there. Winnipeg, can't help you because you're not the second biggest city in the country. So there's something going on there, Winnipeg. Vancouver's number three. Ottawa, number four. Then you've got St. John's, Newfoundland. Then you've got Edmonton, Halifax, Sudbury factors into this, Scarborough factors into this, somehow not even being called Toronto, and Calgary's at number 10. Congratulations to Montreal. Do we say that? Montreal's huge, and they didn't make the top 10. Hmm. Congratulations, Montreal. Congratulations, London. Not there, but we don't want to be there either. So if you are doing any kind of traveling, visiting, hotel staying, movie going, in any other city, you need to know some things because sometimes bed bugs can hide in movie theaters. Certainly they are an issue for hotels. And it's time to call on somebody who has dealt with bed bugs in London, Ontario in the past when he was working as a pest control individual. Now he is a professor at Fanshawe in biology and chemistry, but he knows his bugs. Please welcome... Mike Maris to the show. Mike, how are you doing? Not too bad. Yourself, Mike? Not too bad. Uh, bed bugs. We didn't make the Orkin list like we were saying. That's good. But I guess we have to consider that doesn't necessarily mean London is bed bug free because would any place be bed bug free? I don't really think any major city is going to be bed bug free at this point. Um, I mean, you're going to have cities who are are uh have more serious infestations and things like that um but you know it's like anything else i don't think you're going to be completely free of them anywhere well then we need to know first of all how to identify them and then secondly what to do should you happen to find them if they're not necessarily in our house right now we don't want them in there but we might travel somewhere we might stay in one of these cities in canada maybe we stay in a city in the united states we're staying in a hotel room what should you do to look for bed bugs when you get to a hotel room right well i guess uh, identification is um is your first key so a bed bug is about the size of an apple seed um they're a very flat insect and because they're an insect they're going to have six legs 
they commonly get um, confused with ticks, which actually have eight legs because they're part of the arachnid family. Um, so once you've found an insect and, you, and it uh, has six legs, then you're on your way to having a, a bed bug. They're usually um, red or reddish brown in color. Sometimes they're actually yellow or or almost transparent, depending on their feet, their uh, most recent feeding. Um, where you would find these guys is generally they're going to be around the bed, hence the name, um, or anywhere where there's going to be a lot of heat. Bed bugs, when you look at them, they generally tend to be fairly flat, and they'll exist in areas. Um, they'll tuck in cracks and crevices and things like that. So common areas that you would want to check, um, if you lift up a mattress in a hotel room, they'll generally be in the seams and uh, like where it's sewn on the edges. Um, you'll also find them where the, the mattress actually meets the bed frame, where the bed frame meets the the wooden part of the bed frame, like the metal slats uh, meet the, the wood. Um, oftentimes, we're a good place to look. Uh, the headboard will be... Um, screwed into the wall on a piece of wood that you can usually lift and actually get the headboard off. And the place where those two pieces of, of wood, the wood from the headboard and the wood that's supporting it on the wall, where those meet, uh, there generally tends to be bed bugs in there as well. <laughs> but but you can check uh, nightstands, um, the wood areas around there, especially screw holes and things like that. Or um, even books. I mean, what what hotel room doesn't have a Bible next to the bed? Uh, sometimes they'll be inside the spine and, and the jacket of those. Mike Maris with us, professor at Fanshawe in chemistry and biology, and a guy who knows his bugs. As we look at bed bugs and the idea that maybe London is not on the the latest Orkin information, but we can still encounter bed bugs absolutely everywhere. We always hear, "Don't leave your luggage on the floor. Don't put your luggage on the bed. Use those little luggage racks. That's good." But once you find a bed bug, and let's say it, it did sneak into your luggage and, and get into your house, can you kill it yourself? Um, if you find the actual bug yourself, you can squish it and kill it, and that will be effective to kill that. But what you need to be worried about are how many eggs has it dropped since it's been inside your house. Um, generally speaking, the eggs are more difficult to kill than the the insect itself. Um, so it's really something that you should use a professional for, especially since the area that they're living is going to be kind of a sensitive area. You know, it's, it's your bed, it's your couches, your chairs, um, places that you're going to be spending a lot of time and, and you're going to be spending time in those uh, not covered by as much clothing as you might wear during the day. So you want to limit your exposure to pesticides. It's actually not... Um, not legal for most pesticides to be applied to a sleeping surface. Um, so you, it's not something where you would want to spray down your mattress and things like that. It's really something that should be handled at a professional level. If we're looking at how they get in, obviously luggage is one way or just stuck on your clothes or, or whatever. If you're concerned, if you've actually seen one in a hotel room, is there something you can do before you step back into your house that may kill them off or prevent them from getting in? So it is possible to, to kill bed bugs with high heat. Um, it's, there's some debate about whether that's an effective method for treating the whole home. But for things like your clothing, luggage, things like that, if you were to um, run that uh, through the dryer when you got home um, on the highest heat setting, 
then that should be enough to kill any bed bugs and denature the eggs that are uh, that are in your clothing. Okay, and I guess one final thing, Mike. More and more, bed bugs is a story that comes up, and and we hear about them, and we hear that they're hard to kill. What is it about them that's made them such an issue in recent years? Well, this is actually a little bit of a history lesson. Um, so bed bugs were really prominent back uh, around World War II. Um, but then as technology and science advanced, we came out with new and more powerful pesticides to kill them. And so we basically had bed bugs eradicated for 40, 50 years. And the expertise on how to kill them kind of left the pest control trade as well. Um, then with the relaxation of what pesticides we could use because of environmental concerns and things like that, the pesticides are actually not as strong as what we would have used back in the, in the 60s and 70s. Um, and so because bed bugs are generally hard to kill, uh, they've made a resurgence. Uh, now we're dealing with weaker pesticides and the technology hasn't kept up because they weren't an issue, right? People, uh, industries react to what are the current issues and what they can make money from. And bed bugs wasn't a thing that, that uh, the pest control could make money, pest control industry could make money from for quite some time. So they kind of stopped investing in new techniques and new technologies until, you know, within the last 10, 20 years. Wild. Well, now we've got them as definitely an issue. So thank you for the tips on how to keep them from being an issue in our lives. Anytime, Mike. Thanks. Great to hear from you. Great to hear from you. All the best. Mike Maris, Fanshawe professor and a pest expert. So look at those tips. Make sure you're checking out your hotel rooms, checking around the bed board. It doesn't take very much. Just check around the headboard. Take a look, lift up the mattress, just make sure they're not there. Don't put your luggage right down on the bed. Don't put it right down on the floor. Jim Gaffigan always has that great, and this one isn't one of his more well-known stand-up routines, but he's always got that great stand-up routine where he says, I'm sure I'm the only one who has sat naked on this couch in this hotel room. And you have to think about that for a second, and you have to realize, yeah, it doesn't take much just to just have a look around. Just make sure that there are no bed bugs in there because if you take them home and you get them into your place, it is awfully tough to get them back out. 519-643-2222. John, you don't have an experience with bed bugs, do you? Mike, I've had every experience in the world, my friend. Yes, I lived at the 241 Simcoe building, my friend, which is pretty well considered ground zero Anyways, I don't live there now, thank God, I haven't in 10 years. But, yeah, um, first of all, Mike, I have read a fair amount after having to deal with them back then that um, the reason that they're proliferating, is that the right word? Am I saying the right word? Anyways, again, is because uh, we've outlawed DDT, and then I think the man already said that. And, yeah, that's and, what Mike uh, had said. Yeah, yeah. And it was DDT, I think, extensively that they were using, where they put a big tent over your house at one time. Remember those days? You might <laughs> see an old movie or something. Yeah. Okay. Now, but you can do it yourself. You can do it yourself. you got to find out where they're primarily centered. You, what you got to do is get rid of all your furniture they could possibly live in. All your furniture could possibly live in. All your clothes. And then you got to cock all your baseboards, man. you got to cock them all. A top, bottom, if you have uh, top baseboards, everything, man. Like, I mean, uh, that little trim piece of gold, everything. But first of all, you got to get rid of, you got to find out 
where they're centered. Because generally they can only they only usually travel thirty feet to find something to eat. Okay. I mean, Okay, so but if you cock all your baseboards and stuff, so that they're um, they don't have any place to run to, they gotta have a place to run to when you're stomping, man. Well, hey, John, you've given us some ideas. I think I'd let the pros handle it. John, have a great day. Time for one more call. Tim, that is you. Hey, Mike, how are you? Hey, pretty good. No, good. Hey, uh, I just want I I just turned you on, and I wanted to give my feedback. We. Uh, where I work, our our call center, we had an issue with some bed bugs, okay. whether someone brought them in or or whatever. Regardless, we had to treat for it. So which which we did. Um, my pest control company I use has a actually a bed bug dog, a sniffer dog that actually can detect bed bugs. That's wild. So I I've treated, and then after three months, I I did preventative maintenance now. So I've booked them in to come in every quarter for the next year. So the dog will come in. It's a little beagle. They'll come in. The dog will sniff. If there's bed bug casings, yeah. the dog will actually um, sit down. If there's bed bugs present, the dog will actually start scratching. That's amazing. We'll have to. I will try and find the person who manages that dog. Tim, thank that, you so much. That, that would be Orkin Canada. Orkin so. Canada. All right. Well, we'll yep. give them a buzz and see what we can find. Have a great afternoon. Okay, bye. we got to run away. We'll close out the show next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Coming up next, we will have Matt Trevithick, Jacqueline LaBelle. News for you as we look at some of the big stories of the day and count down closer to the provincial election. Thanks to Andrew Graham. Thanks to Devin Peacock. My name is Mike Stubbs. This has been London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.